Well, with that prayer that the Lord would teach us, we turn to Ephesians chapter 5 once more. I'd like to read the whole chapter again and then focus tonight on God's instruction to Christian wives. Ephesians chapter 5, this epistle that declares that Christ has come to bring about a great unity, to reconcile all things, to gather the Gentiles with the Jews as one new people, to bless the church as one communion, one fellowship, which enjoys the blessing of one spirit, has faith in one Lord, lives for the one God and Father, uses their gifts to serve each other, and in this context now talks about also the importance of marriage for the good of the church. Ephesians 5, verse 1, God's holy word, therefore be imitators of God as dear children, And walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you, as is fitting for saints, neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks." For this you know that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not be partakers with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light." For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light, for whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore he says, Awake, you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light." See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord giving thanks always for all things to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ... So let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. 
For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you, in particular, so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. This is the word of the Lord. Let's bow in prayer. Heavenly Father, we are grateful that as we cry out that you grant your word to be a light upon our path, that that you have given to us your word, you have inscripturated it, you have preserved it, and you have preserved the Christian pulpit. We thank you, Lord, for the gospel, for the good news. We thank you for the instruction for those who want to live thankful lives and to walk as children of light. We pray tonight that we might find out what pleases you. Help us in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Congregation of Christ, someone has described uh, marriage, or rather Ephesians 5 here, as a, a recipe for a healthy marriage. Ephesians 5, a recipe for a truly healthy marriage relationship. It reminded me of what an old preacher said many years ago. He's now gone to glory, but, but he said that family happiness is like homemade bread. And so it's the most wonderful bread, of course, but you can't buy it at the store. It takes, it takes work. Now, that was an older preacher that said that, and maybe since his time, we've come up with bread makers. And that's the problem, isn't it? That we want to believe that though marriage could take a lot of work, there must be some digital answer. There must be an easier way. Uh, a few lessons with a family counselor or a book that holds the secret that will make it all easy or a pill I could take. And then marriage is simple. It's easy. But a good marriage requires prayer and effort. Ora et labora, pray and work. That's the Christian motto. Requires that we live near to the Lord, calling upon him. In one sense, our marriages are never any better than our walk with the Lord is. Our marriages never rise higher than our relationship with Jesus Christ does. But a healthy, beautiful, God-glorifying marriage doesn't just fall out of the sky on our wedding day. It's like a garden that has to be cultivated. Have to tend to it. Needs the, the grace of the Spirit poured over it day after day. And yet, it's worth it because the results are glorious, right? The, the enjoyment and delight for man and woman, the, the security and, and the stability for children, the, the blessing to society, the strengthening of the church of Jesus Christ, it's well worth it. And tonight, as we consider the words before us, we should remember that God, in all that he is saying to us here beneath it all and with it all, is saying, I care about your marriage. I'm pleased to build your marriage. In fact, tonight, no matter, no matter the state of our marriage, I don't know what grade you would give your marriage tonight if you're married on a scale of 1 to 10, but no matter, no matter the condition of your marriage, the Lord has not given up on it. There's always hope. There's always room for growth. There's, there's always a Lord who wants to infuse our marriages with his spirit and with his grace and to grow us up more and more to glorify him and to bless one another. So tonight, having heard this morning the, the calling for Christian husbands to love their wives, we see the calling for Christian wives in verse 22 is to submit 
to their own husbands. Let's consider, first of all, how that calling is announced. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. And then we'll look at the basis of that, that the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. And then we'll consider the pattern, that just as the church is subject to Christ, so, in that way, let wives be to their own husbands. Well, first of all, the calling is announced. We come to the most unpopular verse in the Bible, verse 22, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. In our politically correct culture, that, of course, is not something people hold in high esteem. It would be scoffed at, right, in many places. And yet, this is the word of the Lord to us. The apostle warns the Ephesians, they live in evil days. They're dark days. Don't, don't trust the culture, he says. You're children of darkness, but you are children of light. The, the truth of the living God has been given to you. Don't walk in darkness with those who do whatever feels good, those who do whatever they think is right, those who are drunk, those who cannot think, those who cannot understand uh, a future worth living for. No, you be wise. You be children of the light. You let God's word permeate your lives. Maybe we're far enough along down the feminist project to realize that it hasn't really panned out. What's the result? Are marriages better off? Are women happier? Not hardly. Marital breakdown? Frustrated women who now have to bring home $60,000 and do all the housework. It's not been a great success, has it? We give thanks to God that he hasn't left us on our own to try to, to learn by way of experimentation, by way of trial and error, hasn't given us to try to learn the way to be married and to, to leave it to our experimentation, something as precious as human hearts and sexuality and children. These are not things to play around with, but God has given to us a clear word, a clear word. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Well, what does it mean to submit? It's one of the most degrading words, according to our culture. But submit means to arrange yourself under to arrange yourself under, to, to fit, to fit in, to, to, to be a, a help, to adjust yourself, to yield. We all know about submission. In fact, the apostle had just told everyone in verse 21, all of us are to submit to one another in the fear of God. In the church of Christ, we submit to each other. We, we fit in with each other. We, we yield to one another. We recognize the gifts, the place God has given to another. We all know about submission. Children submit to parents, and we all submit to our government. We submit to our elders. We, we yield. We arrange ourselves, our lives beneath their authority. Well, God has established it in the home, that the husband is the head, and the wife is to submit to that for the honor of God. She is to respect the husband's place as leader, provider, protector, and as the one who's ultimately responsible to God for everything that goes on in the home. Doesn't mean, contrary to public opinion, doesn't mean that a wife is treated as a child. Doesn't mean that a wife is to be subjugated as a slave. 
doesn't mean that she's the citizen of a communist dictator. She's a partner with him, an heir of the grace of God, one made in the Lord's image, but she's assigned a different role. She is to submit to him, verse 33, she is to respect her husband. Respect her husband. Notice here that it doesn't call women wives to submit to every man. Just like we saw this morning, a man is not called to love every woman. Not in this sense, he's called to love his wife. In the same way, a woman is not called to submit to every man. She's called to submit to her own husband, to the one man who is hers. The church doesn't submit to many lords. The church submits to one lord. The wife doesn't submit to everyone who's a husband. She submits to the one who is her husband. So she's to submit herself, to yield herself, to arrange her life beneath his authority. If that's not clear, maybe the the opposite, hearing the opposite would help. Let me read you a, a long quote here, and maybe also for husbands, if we've grown too accustomed to a godly wife who who has obeyed God's command, and we just sort of take it for granted, maybe hearing the opposite would remind us to be thankful. Ray Ortland writes, The opposite of a submissive spirit is an unsatiable demandingness, a fault-finding resistance, a tiresome fretfulness. Proverbs 27, verse 15 says, A continual dripping on a rainy day and a quarrelsome wife are alike. No man gets married in order to live under the leaky roof, so to speak, of a nagging, scolding wife. Life at home should never be made into a dripping water torture. A man's home, the place of refuge, must not be yet more of the storm he must cope with every day at work. But a wise Christian wife with a 1 Peter 3, gentle and quiet spirit refreshes her husband's spirit to face the challenge of life again the next day with new determination and confidence. It goes on to say then that the pattern is that of head with helper, the head taking responsibility, providing initiative, and the helper supporting, encouraging, comforting. God has given to wives a glorious task. The call of being a submissive wife is not just be quiet and stand over there, walk five paces behind your husband and don't interrupt him. That's not it at all. She's a partner with tremendous responsibility and glorious opportunity to bless her husband in the calling that God has given him. And so this command to be submissive to your husband is not the word of the Apostle Paul, the the prejudiced male chauvinist misogynistic apostle Paul who didn't know any better than his culture where they didn't treat women so well and they were patriarchal that's not it this is this is the word of Christ Jesus you want to see what the apostle Paul thought about women read Romans 16 he praises one woman after another by name for their giftedness and their service to the church but this is the word of Christ through the apostle Paul for the glory of Christ The husband is called to lay down his life in love for his bride, to nourish her, to cherish her, to lead her, to protect her, to wash her with the word. And the wife is called 
to receive that. To receive that. To live beneath that blessed rule of her husband. The husband is given a role to illustrate the love of Christ for his bride. And the bride is given the role to illustrate the love of the church for her Christ. And when we fail to do these, then we misrepresent the relationship between Jesus Christ and his church, and between the church and Jesus Christ. But where we fulfill our roles, then then husband and wife together are walking, serving to the world, professing and proclaiming in some way the wonder of this mystery that Christ has covenanted to his people. He's taken them as his own, and we as the church have been made new to love him and to serve him and to submit to him. So, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. As to the Lord. Isn't that liberating for Christian wives? Because when your husband says something or makes a decision you disagree with, you don't have to measure up his merits and see if he deserves that you should follow his lead. The submission is not based on your husband. It's as to the Lord. As to the Lord. Because because you belong to the Lord. Because you serve the Lord Jesus Christ. A husband is not called to give love to his wife in proportion to her deserving it. And if he finds a fault, then he can neglect his wife. And a wife is not called to submit to her husband in proportion to his deserving it. And if he's fallen down or failed in some way, then she can give up with submission. So Christian wives yield to Christ. And because they yield to Christ, they yield to their husband. Now notice, brothers, it says for wives to submit. It doesn't say for husbands to make their wives submit. There's no calling in the word of God for men to subjugate women. There's no place to try to make your wife submissive by scolding her, by yelling at her, certainly not by physical violence. There's no place for that at all. Don't even threaten such a thing. You may pray for your wife. You may gently instruct her in what the word of God requires of both of you. You may demonstrate to her a submissive spirit by the way you submit to your elders, the way you submit to the President of the United States, the way you submit to brothers and sisters in an appropriate way at church. But she's the one called from the heart God has given her to submit. And that submission is not demeaning and degrading. It's not something that removes all freedom from her life. You read Proverbs 31 and you read about the virtuous woman. What a wife she is. She is bold and she is strong and she is wise and she is busy in the home and she is busy outside the home. And her husband has entrusted her all kinds of responsibility and decision making. But she is oriented towards her husband, verse 12, Proverbs 31. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. She knows that she stands beside him. She seeks to do him good, to be a support, to be a help. She, in that way, has put on the mind of Christ. And you know, that's really the the answer to all those who would say that submission is some demeaning, degrading thing, unworthy of the gospel. Well, we point people to the fact that the gospel is all about what? 
but the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, equal in glory and honor to the Father, submitted himself in the economy of salvation to obey the Father, become obedient even to death. We read of of the boy Jesus going down to Nazareth with his parents and submitting to them, though they were sinful parents, because he was submitting to his Father. Now in all of that, the Son of God was not less than the Father, But in terms of his role in redemption, he yielded. Christian women can remember that if Christ submitted, then it can't be demeaning for them to submit. So the calling is to submit. But what then is the basis? Let's look at that. The basis explained. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord for, verse 23, or because, because the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Notice the text doesn't say submit to your husbands because they're bigger, they're stronger. It doesn't say because they're wiser or, or more important. Anytime men perpetuate some idea that, that women should submit to their husbands because they're somehow greater than their wives, they've missed the entire point. Men and women are equal before God. God made us in his image, male and female, he made us in his image. But he made us differently. And he assigned different roles so that male and female, husband and wife, might complement one another as partners in his kingdom. It's not, like R.C. Sproul said, it's not, it's not the sub, subjugation of a slave to a master, but it's the submission of a queen to a king. These were God's glorious image bearers. His husband is the head in the sense that he has the leadership, the authority, the rulership. He, we could say it this way, he bears the responsibility. The responsibility. Wives may say it's not fun to submit sometimes, but husbands will say it's not fun to be responsible Husbands are prone to be irresponsible. We'd rather play with our distractions than make decisions about the home and the finances and the children. But wives, in terms of sinful nature, would seek to rule over. It wasn't that way in the beginning. It wasn't that way in the beginning. God God created male and female. He created them differently, assigned them different roles. 1 Timothy 2.13 says that Adam was formed first, then Eve. 1 Corinthians 11 says that, that the man is not from the woman, but the woman from the man. There's, a, there's an order to creation. Man was created first, then woman, that God might reveal to us the order of authority and responsibility. And in the beginning, it was joyous, right? Because Adam was the perfect husband. He poured himself out for his wife. He gave his life for her. And, and she, in response, lived for him. She supported him, stood beside him. It was a privilege and delight for her to be the helper God made for him. But things didn't remain that way. Sin entered the world. And it's, it's remarkable, isn't it, that the very first sin involved a great role reversal. Adam failed in his task to be the guardian. The serpent came in. Adam didn't throw him out. The serpent lied. Adam did not combat the lie. Left his wife vulnerable. But the wife, Eve, what was she doing in talking to the serpent? 
Remember, it was that God gave Adam the prohibition before Eve was created, apparently. God told Adam, you can't eat of this tree. And so it must have been Adam who told Eve, we may not eat of this tree. But when the serpent came in the garden and began to play with that word, did God really say, then Eve was abandoning the word of her husband in favor of the word of the serpent. And she took the lead, didn't she, in eating the fruit. Adam was the head. His wife was beneath him and beside him, and together they were to rule over creation. But, but at the moment of sin, it's the serpent on top ruling over the woman, who's ruling over the man, telling him to take and eat, or he gives to her, or she gives to him and he eats. And so this, this whole order has been up, upturned. But when God comes down to the garden, God refuses to say, or refuses to leave things turned upside down, but God comes and he starts with Adam. Adam, where are you? I made you responsible here. And God sets things straight. And God speaks words of judgment. Says to the woman, your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. Different interpretations are given for that, but it might mean something as simple as that Eve is always going to desire to master Adam. She'll want to rule over him. And so as one commentary says, the <clears throat> Eve's decision of a moment became the habit of a lifetime. If men have the propensity of wanting to be irresponsible, women have the sinful propensity of wanting to take the role of leadership. But it's not the end of the story, is it? Because God who comes down to the garden and brings these words of judgment also brings the promise of Jesus, the Savior, who will crush the serpent's head. And Jesus comes in submission to his Father and he dies on the cross. He takes away our sin and he restores us, broken, twisted people that we are, back to our God-created, God-assigned roles the husband is the head of the wife, not because he says so. The husband. The husband is the head of the wife, not because he's earned it. The husband is the head of the wife, not, not because he has finally achieved it or negotiated for this status. But he's the head of his wife because the Lord has made it so. And Christ has restored it so. Now, a husband can be a bad head if he's irresponsible, if he's unloving. He's a bad head, but he's still the head. The wife can always remember that if her husband's failing. He's still the head. He's responsible to God. The wife can also find comfort in what we saw this morning, that Jesus Christ is forever a faithful head, right? We are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones, verse 30. He nourishes and cherishes us. I mean, this is the ultimate confidence of every Christian woman, right? She knows her husband is not ultimately her savior. He's going to fail her in different ways, but she knows that no matter how my husband fails me or falls short of his calling, I have the greatest of husbands, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will always be with me, always faithful me, always loving me. But, of course, as we saw this morning, it should be the goal of every Christian husband to make submission a delight. 
to be such a husband to his wife that she says, you know, this, this, is, this has become rather easy. This is very pleasant for me. I always know that whenever you're going to make a decision, you're always thinking about me. I always know that, that when there's responsibility to be born, you bear the responsibility. You don't blame me. You don't push it off on me. Or if I ever point out that children have some need or some problem, you don't run away from it. Notice what the text says. The husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. That's the kind of headship Christ has. He's a savior for us. And a husband is to, in a way, be that. Not that he could redeem his wife from her sins, but he can love her, provide and protect Point her to the Lord Jesus. So the basis of submission is the place Christ has assigned her husband. But then finally, notice the pattern, the pattern of this. Verse 24, therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Well, how is the church subject to Christ? And then, how should a wife be subject after that pattern to her husband? Well, the church is to be gladly submissive to Christ, thankful, rejoicing. Church is to be voluntarily submissive to Christ, not having to be forced in it, but glad. The church is to be wholeheartedly submissive to Christ, sincerely, not just when his eye is on us, it's when we could avoid him, but from, but from the heart in all things. Church loves Christ. A wife is to love her husband, but her love is to also come to expression in this submission. The church is not to complain against Christ. A wife is not to destroy her husband. I read one marriage book where the author talked about wives who tried to submit love for respect. And he noticed as a pastor that there are some wives who in terms of love, did everything for their husbands in the home, but then rushed off to Bible study and, under the guise of prayer requests, tore their husbands apart. They tried to love them. They thought they were loving them, but they disrespected them. Respect your husbands. And the scope, well, wives are to submit to their husbands in everything. He says at the end of verse 24, in everything. It's remarkable, isn't it, that there's no part of a wife's, a wife's life, there's no aspect, there's no sphere, there's nothing in which the man is not responsible and in which she is free to not yield to him. His authority extends over all departments, not just the organization of the garage and the choice of lawn fertilizer, but he's responsible before God for financial decisions, the parenting, the church choices. Now, the husband's not the ultimate Lord. Christ is. So can a wife ever say no to her husband and not submit? Well, hypothetically, yes, right? If a husband required of his wife to do something Christ forbids or forbids her from doing something Christ requires, then she'd have to obey Christ rather than man. But in a Christian marriage, hopefully that's never the case. 
But if she comes to her husband with a concern, he listens. If her conscience is plagued, he's concerned about that. So in everything is the word of Scripture. In everything. What wives sometimes don't realize is the great, great opportunity for loving their husbands they have and submitting and respecting. I read this morning that quote from Ortland regarding wives and the doubt they may have about love, the need they have for the assurance of their husband's love. Well, after that quote comes this quote regarding husbands. Listen to this. He, he said at the end of the first quote that love, the husband's love, breathes life into a woman. Now he's going to say that respect breathes life into the man. He says, For the wife, remember that God made Adam first and put him in the garden with a job to do, a mission to fulfill, a mountain to climb. But now in our broken world of today, deep in the heart of every man is the self-doubt that wonders, am I man enough to meet the challenge God has called me to? Can I fulfill my destiny? Won't I end up failing? Is there any point in even trying? The question is way down deep inside the heart of every husband. A wise wife will understand that, and she will spend her life speaking into it, communicating to her husband in many ways, Honey, I believe in you. I know you can follow God's call by his grace for his glory. The Lord is with you, and so am I. Let's go for it. A wise wife will never put her husband down or laugh at him, but will greatly strengthen him and build him up for God's glory. He will accomplish more by the power of her respect than he ever could on his own. That is why the word respect appears in verse 33. Respect breathes life into a man. Sometimes Christian wives don't recognize what a blessing it is to a man to have a wife who stands beside, who honors their hard work, who praises them for taking responsibility and being the warrior king that he's called to be. And as a Christian wife acts as the queen that God has made her to rule beside her husband, then a Christian husband is greatly blessed. Dear sisters, do you hear the call of Christ and are you fulfilling that? And young ladies... Do you see what the Lord calls you to if he calls you to marriage? And therefore, the question, what kind of a man do I want to marry? Is this the man I want to submit my life to for the rest of my existence on earth? It's a big question. To a young man who thinks about marriage, is this the kind of woman I want to lead Is this one who has an eye for the kingdom of Christ and will will stand beside me, will support me in my calling? Those are big questions. But how thankful we are that we're not left on our own. That Jesus Christ has spoken a clear word and that he gives us not only forgiveness in all the ways we fail, but he gives us a new heart, guiding us and leading us in this work Of Christian marriage. Christian marriage is like homemade bread without a bread maker. Christian marriage is about work, but above all about prayer. Lord, help us. Lord, bless us. Lord, guide us. Overcome my stubbornness. 
Take away my irresponsibility. Grant the grace, Lord, that our home might magnify you, might tell the story of Christ and his church. May God make it so among us. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your word, for its power. We thank you that even by the preaching of it, you are washing us, you are cleansing us, you are sanctifying us for yourself and for the day of your coming. Father, we pray that you will continue to grant marriages to your people and that they might be Christian marriages rooted in your word and in faith in Christ. We pray, Lord, you would be near to any marriages that are troubled or distressed tonight or disappointed. We pray that you would encourage us, renew us, and lift us up. We pray that you'd help us to know how to live as husbands and wives. We pray, Lord, we'd know your blessing and that we'd know the sweet fellowship We thank you, Lord, for how you've shielded marriages, for the unity that you give to them, and for the sweet companionship of walking hand in hand, serving side by side in your kingdom. To you be all the glory for this great gift. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.